So today I want to, uh, we're going to revisit a parable that we started on Father's Day. This is the parable of the lost son. And in light of and in the spirit of our teaching ministry, who's been doing an amazing job teaching us on parables, uh, on Tuesday nights, we're going to look at a, a parable again. But this is a parable we already looked at a couple weeks ago. We're just going to revisit it. It's the parable of the lost son. And if you remember, we talked about it. If you missed the lesson, it's on our website so you can Go back and, and look at it. The main character in that story, even though it's called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, it's really about the dad because the dad in that parable represents God. And so we talked about that. We talked about God and who he is and what this parable teaches us about God uh, on Father's Day. Uh, but we're going to revisit it because there's two more characters in this uh, parable as well. There's the two sons, the younger son, the prodigal one, the lost one, and then there's the older brother. And so today I want to go back and I want to reread it, but I want to look at what we can learn from the prodigal son and what that means for us and the lessons we can take from that. And then next Sunday we'll close out this little series and we'll look at the older brother, all right, the the, the other character in the parable. But today, let's take a look at the actual lost son. Because when you read this, there are so many things that we can get out of it. There's so much meat in there. And uh, I really want to encourage us to take a look at it and really dive into it. So I'm going to read this to you, share some thoughts, share some points, hopefully help guide you, get, set your mind spiritually. And then at the very end, we'll pray and we'll take communion together. So back in our, in our text here, Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. All right, let's stop there for a moment. There's a lot of things, again, that we can learn from this parable. There's a lot of things that we can pull out. But when we turn our focus to the son, the younger son in this story, one of the things that pops out right away to us that we can learn is this. Sin is empty. Sin is empty. This is what this younger son is doing. If you catch it, he's taken everything he has and he goes off to his distant land and he squanders everything that he has just completely indulging in, in a, a, a life contrary to what his father would want. This is what sin is. Sin is when we live contrary to God's design for our life. Sin is when we live in disobedience to God's direction for our life. Romans chapter three, verse 23 actually teaches us that sin is falling short of God's great glory. And the truth is, Romans three twenty-three teaches us is that we're all guilty of it. Not one of us can, has not at some point lived like this young man, where we've lived in wild living, living contrary to what our father Wanted. So what we see here is we see this son going to a distant land, squandering his wealth, 
squandering everything he has until the Bible says he has nothing. Zero. Why? Because this kind of life is empty. Sin, disobedience to God, is empty. And it's important that we remember that. It's important that we remember that because the world around us tells us the exact opposite. The world around us through everything, TV or, uh, you know, online or people we know or billboard. I mean, wherever you go, the world is promising us that if we live and we indulge ourselves, that's where we find true happiness. And so what happens is we end up believing it like this young man and we give ourselves over to sin and we find out the truth, the same truth this young man found out. And that is this sin is empty. And this passage actually even shows us, if you look at it a little bit closer, it shows us specifically how sin is so empty. I mean, look at this young man. In verse 14, this sin is empty because one, it steals our ability to deal with real life. Verse 14, it says, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need. See, his indulgence, his sin, what it ended up doing, it didn't give him everything that it promised. Instead, what it did is when real life hit, when the famines came, he found himself in need. He was unable to deal with real life because of his sin. Sin also makes us obsolete. You know, think about it. There in verse 16, it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, this is a young man who just verses ago came from great wealth. He had everything. In fact, we'll learn later in the story that he had everything and he had servants on top of that. I mean, this kid had everything. But because he indulged, because he gave in to all of the sin, he eventually finds himself in a situation where he is completely obsolete. He has zero influence. In fact, he's living with pigs and there's nothing that he can even get from that. And that's what happens to us. Sin leaves us obsolete. It leaves us also in places we never thought we would be. Again, back to our young man. Here is a kid who, when he left, you know he wasn't thinking, well, one day I'll be living with pigs. That's not what he was thinking. But that's what happens. That's why it's so empty. You find yourself in a situation where you never thought you would be. I remember years ago, my family and I were on a family trip and we were driving through Virginia and we decided to get off the highways and go the back roads to the Shenandoah Valley. If you've ever been there, it's absolutely beautiful. It's amazing. And we were driving. It was around nine o'clock at night. We were on our way home. And uh, we were driving down this two-lane road, and it was summer, so it was still daylight out, but it was starting to get dark. It was around dusk, and I looked ahead of me as I'm driving down this two-lane road, and my whole family, we're all in the car, I'm driving, and I see off in the distance a car coming at me in the other lane, but slowly moving into our lane. And I saw it, and I you know, immediately took note of it. I think I honked or flashed my lights, and I thought, well, you know, maybe they're just distracted, and they'll just pop right back in. But they just kept coming, slowly, slowly. And we're going at each other pretty quickly. And this car is just slowly easing into our lane. 
And I really, and then I'm really honking the horn and I'm really flashing, I'm trying to get their attention, but they kept coming right late to the point where I pulled off, I, I had to immediately drive off the road and I pulled off into the shoulder of the highway just in time to watch this car pass me in my lane, going the wrong way. We stopped the car. Of course, we turned around and looked, and the car then went off the road into the ditch, crossed the street, hit in an embankment, and just, bam, stopped immediately. We thought, oh, my gosh, what happened? Scared us to death. Of course, we immediately called 911. Again, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and I'm on the phone with 911. Another car pulls up. And the guy's in it, and, I, and he sees that car, he sees me, and I explain, this is what happened. And I said, we need to go check on that person. I said, we, because I didn't want to go do it alone. You know, <laughs> you, know <laughs> you have no idea what you're going to find in there. I mean, someone could be dead, uh, you could, you, you, or you could find somebody very much alive but angry, angry at you, because they think you were drunk, you know, who knows? So I needed an ally in this. And I'm on the phone with 911, and the guy walks over, and he... He walks over, and as he's walking to the car, it was a minivan, and a a young woman got out of the car, completely fine, like nothing was wrong with her, but completely drunk, completely intoxicated. She got out, and she, she stepped out, she looked at her car, she saw her minivan, you know, in the ditch, and she looked around, and she said to herself in front of us, she said, how did I get here? That is exactly what sin does. That's exactly what it does. All of a sudden, you wake up in a ditch somewhere, spiritually. Things are a mess in your life. Things are wrecked in your life. You've lived a life of indulgence. You've lived a life of of saying yes to whatever you want. You've lived a life of pursuing things that God says don't pursue. And all of a sudden, you wake up in a ditch, spiritually, and you go, how did I get here? And, and she, the thing is, she genuinely didn't know. It was, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't, you know, trying to avoid. She just did not know how she got there. That's exactly what sin does. And so one of the things we learned from this young man's story is a very important lesson that I know you know. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it's important that we remember this. And that is this. Sin is empty. It's empty. It promises you everything, but only delivers you pain and brokenness. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God told Cain, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. Are you tangled up in sin right now? Are there things going on in your life that maybe only you know about? (laughs) Things that you've tried to hide or things that you haven't wanted to talk about or things that you're hoping that will just kind of go away. Things where you've made mistakes, you've lived in disobedience to God, you've turned your back on God. Is there, is that going on in your life? It's only going to lead you to emptiness. That's it. That's all. That's all you're going to get out of it. But if that is you, there's good news. There's good news. Because this story doesn't end there. It's where it starts, but it continues on. It continues on in verse 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? 
and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. The next thing that we see, other than we see that sin is empty, the next thing we see, especially when we look at this young man, is that change begins by taking responsibility. Change begins when we start taking responsibility. This young man, he hit bottom. He hit bottom. And the bottom that he hit did not turn him bitter. It did not turn him angry. It did not turn him resentful. Instead, it began to turn him back to his father. And you see, he begins to take responsibility. The good news in this story is he doesn't stay in the pigs. We start to see hope. We start to see the beginning of change. And that same hope and that same change is available to me and to you. He began to realize that there was something better out there. You know, when I talk to people who become Christians, and maybe you're one of this people, when I say, what was it? You know, what was it that caused you to want to become a Christian? So many people say, I just wanted to find something better. You know, I thought there's got to be something better out there. And you know what? You're right. They're right. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon. There is something better out there. God, you were not created to be in sin. That's not what you were created for. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says we are God's workmanship. We're his workmanship. We're his, 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 his artwork. You know, we have been created in Christ to do good works. We have not been created to stay in that terrible spot. No, there's hope. And that's what you see with this young man. He begins to realize there's something better for him out there. And what does he do? He makes a plan. Doesn't he? He makes his plan. His plan, his plan is very simple. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father. And when you look at this plan, it is drenched, drenched in humility, isn't it? I mean, just soaking, just, just soaking in humility. There's no excuses. There's no, he's not making alliances, right? He doesn't say, you know what I'll do? I'll go back. I'll send someone to talk to one of the servants. I'll judge the lay of the land. Is my dad in a bad mood? Is he in a good? Like, there's none of that. He's not doing survivor, you know, like where you're making alliances with people. No, just no excuses. Just full responsibility. Just, this is where I am. This is who I am. And his plan, full of humility, is just to go back to the Father. So he realizes there's something better. He makes a plan, and then what does he do? He takes action. He does something. In fact, it says, verse 20, he got up and went. There it is. He got up and he went. If you are this young man, if you are spiritually tangled in your emptiness of your sins, there is something better for you. It will take realizing that. It will take having a level of humility that we see. But it will also take, take action, getting up and turning to your father. Go, get up. You don't have to stay in the pigs. 
You don't have to stay there. You're not meant to be there. Let us not blame other people. Let us not point to other people as to why we are the way we are. Certainly people affect us, for sure. People hurt us. Circumstances absolutely affect us. None of us live in a vacuum. We are affected by that. But, but, change begins with us. Just taking responsibility for us. That's it. That's all you have control over in this world is you. And, you know, I don't know. As I get older, I, I realize sometimes I don't know if I have full control of myself. But that's it. Like, I'm it. I'm all I have control over. Own it. Open up your life. Open up your heart. Open up the Bible. And, and turn to God. Proverbs 19, verse 3, it says, A man's own folly ruins his life. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. Oh, let's not be that guy. All right, let's not be that guy who's, who our own folly ruins our life, but we we yet we we raise our fist to God. God, why, why, God, why would you do this? Instead, like this young man, let's realize we were meant for something better. Drenched in humility, let's get up and own it. The story then concludes. The story concludes there in verse twenty. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Here it is. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, so the father didn't even listen to him. Father just said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Wow. What an amazing conclusion to the young man's story. He comes back to the father and there's a celebration. What is it that we learn from this young man? We learn that sin is empty. We learn that change begins by taking responsibility. And then we also learn that home is always an option. Home is always an option. In fact, the most important lesson of this parable is not the supplemental things that we learn. And we learn a lot of things about it. But the most important message of this parable, what we talked about when we talked about the father, the most important lesson is this. God wants you to be with him. He wants you to come home. He doesn't want you out there. He wants you to be with him. Sometimes we wander. Sometimes we drift. Excuse me, sometimes we indulge, but if we return, there is a celebration that is waiting for us. That's what the Bible teaches us. There's a celebration. God wants us. Like he came with his plan, and his plan was full of humility, and he took full responsibility, and all that was good. But then the dad was like, all right, let's just party. You know, that was not what he was expecting. But let's, let's get all the best together and let's have a celebration because my son who was lost is now found. If you are wandering, 
spiritually. If you are drifting spiritually, if you are indulging spiritually, if you have left spiritually, if you have quit spiritually, you say, Phil, I'm here. I know. I know we can all be present physically, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean we're present spiritually as Sarah and Mia actually called us to be a little while ago. So this is, this is what we're talking about, our hearts. If your heart has wandered, even if you physically haven't gone anywhere, but your heart has wandered, God wants your hearts. He wants you to come back. You can come home. Please come home. Please. That is the appeal. That is the, that is the, that is the message of this parable. Please come home. There's a father who's waiting waiting with compassion on you, and he wants you. As the great New Jersey philosopher John Bon Jovi once said, (laughs) who says you can't go home? You know, extending forgiveness can be tough, especially when when it's you and me, extending amongst people. It can be hard to extend forgiveness, especially when we've been hurt. You know, when the police arrived at that accident, when the car ran us off the road, when the police arrived, you know, they took our information and it was getting late and we were tired. My wife was like, can we please just go home? And I didn't want to. I didn't want to go home. You know why? Because I went, I wanted to see her get arrested. I had gone from being absolutely terrified to being absolutely angry. You know, because it was my whole family. It was even our dogs were in the car. I mean, a head-on collision would have been terrible. And I wanted to see her go to jail. But we left. So even to this day, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if she was arrested. I don't know if she got a ticket. I don't know if she thought I was arrested. I, I have no idea. And I had to learn to just let go and let God take care of it. Whatever it is. Just saying that extending forgiveness, especially amongst people, is very difficult. But the good news is, thank God, He is an expert at extending forgiveness. It's kind of what He does. That's His thing. And all of us, no matter what's happened, none of us are too far gone. If you still have air in your lungs right now, if you're listening to my words, if you're listening to a recording of this later on, days and weeks or months after I've said this, if you are still alive, you still have the opportunity to return to God. Please do it. Please. That is the message. He wants you to come home. Sin is absolutely empty. Change. It comes when we start taking responsibility. And home is always an option. These are lessons for us from this parable. Lessons from this young man. We're going to take communion together now at this time. And I would like to encourage you, as we do, I'm going to say a prayer. And just to take a moment, we'll have a moment here just to silently sit with your thoughts, with your heart, and with your God. Just to really allow yourself to appreciate it's really let, just let yourself marinate in the love and the grace and the kindness that is extended to us. 
Not just when we become Christians, but it's what carries us every single moment of our lives. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and say a prayer together. God, we are so grateful for your word that teaches us. We're so grateful for your parables that are, have so much depth and that reveal to us truths that you want us to understand. And we pray that we will. We pray we will turn away from sins. We pray that we will own our mistakes and be full of humility. And God, we pray that you will help us to fully rely on the absolute forgiveness that you offer us. Thank you that home is always an option. Thank you for this story that teaches us that we can turn to you and look to you and come home to you at any point. God, we love you. We pray that you will please help us now as we meditate on the cross and the love that was given to us there. Help our hearts to always be soft, always be moved. And through your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.